Welcome to the manor. Welcome back to the Twin Terrors Macabre Manor of me, Metal and Mayhem. I'm James. And I'm Jody. And uh, this is going to be um, actually kind of tying into something James and I were just kind of talking about before we started this episode. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I assume. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> well, you were you were talking about a recent trip that you had taken to Colorado. Oh, true. True. So, yeah. And this is going to be part two of our Tommy Bolin episode. And and he interacts with Colorado. He does quite a bit, as a matter of fact, uh, in 1968, because I'm just going to jump right into this. Oh, wait, or do you want to talk about your beer? Because, I, I mean, you've mentioned it once in a previous episode. I know that. Well, I'm having the third of the three <laughs> Guinness Nitro cold brews that I had left over. So, you know, if I slur, I should not because they're 4% and I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> but the only thing you may hear is me peeing in my my other coffee mug that's empty because <laughs> that's a little more than i needed to know okay okay i'll just take a break and go pee in the toilet in the oh, next room How's that? okay that, that i'll works. let you decide where this goes okay or, or, <laughs> no, or nowhere <laughs> I, I i'm i'm not having beer right now i'm having water but that's um that's only because i didn't want to go get another beer that, it was it was easier to get water that makes sense yeah slackitude is never a bad thing <laughs> <laughs> hey and, and if i'm about anything it's slackitude. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so was, yeah well no i was gonna say what was what was the um my, my favorite philosopher mediocrities yeah <laughs> <Eh>, whatever yeah. <laughs> there's, there's also some sort of actual organized church religion thing where slack it, like this concordantism or something where slack is uh, one of the major attributes <laughs> oh yeah 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 i've, I've kind of looked into that a little bit but I'm, I'm also not much of a joiner so yeah that hasn't happened <laughs> right you should join this because it's the most anarchic no not joining <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> anyway <laughs> anyway <laughs> boulder colorado uh 1968 tommy bullen is 17 years old um if you, if you remember uh, at the at the end of the last episode he got arrested in uh kansas and and uh they they, they uh, you know agreed to release him if he got a haircut and looked like a poodle and <laughs> took the bus back to his parents in Sioux City, Iowa, but then he hitchhiked to Boulder, Colorado again. <laughs> <laughs> Screw you guys. You, you can't tell me what to do. Yeah. Um, uh, so by this time, though, he's he's uh, playing in a band called American Standard. And uh, so it's, it's early in 1968, and uh, he's introduced to this guy, a bass player named David Givens. And uh, and, and I don't know if she was his wife at the time, but um, David Givens uh, was at least dating this uh, woman named Candy, who he eventually married. She becomes Candy Givens. Oh, okay. Sorry, I, I got confused. But not, so not, you didn't know if it was Tommy's wife at the time. It was Givens' no. wife at the time. Well, it's Givens' wife. Tommy never marries her at all. R right, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, uh, but at the time... Um, neither neither of the givens or tommy seem in, impressed or interested in working with the others <laughs> <laughs> um and, and and candy was i said that didn't i candy was a singer 
I actually don't think so. I think that's about what you're going to say. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So she, so, so David Gibbons plays bass and uh, Candy sings. They, they've been performing together and they're introduced to Tommy and, and uh, Tommy doesn't really seem impressed with them. They don't really seem impressed with Tommy. They're not really interested in working with each other. Um, David Givens even said that Tommy seemed standoffish. But later in 1968, um, uh, Tommy has by this time moved on to a band called Ethereal Zephyr. And, and Tommy runs into the Givens again. And this time they, they actually kind of hit it off and uh, decide to jam together. So they, they do that and they said, hey, yeah, you, we, should, we should work together. We should form a band. So, and I actually don't have a note here as to what the band name was that the Givens were in, but um, they kind of take both bands and merge them together in, into one band and decide to kind of, instead of keeping the name Ethereal Zephyr, they just take the Zephyr part of it and form, you know, kind of form this new band called Zephyr. And everybody moves in together. All the, all the people in the band move in together, including their girlfriends. So Tommy and his, <laughs> his girlfriend, um, uh, Karen. It's Karen. 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 Carry me, carry. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it was her name. Uh, Karen Ulibarri. That, that sounds right. I actually even listened to, like read up a few things about this time of Tommy's life. I just, I don't have anything specific. So if I hear anything that sounds odd or questions, I'll, I'll okay. jump in, but I was, uh, I was trying to look back at my notes. Yeah. Karen, Karen Ulibarri. Okay. So, oh, cool. um, yeah. So, uh, including her, they all moved together in this house. Um, and, and I mean, it was everybody in the band. It wasn't just Tommy and Karen and the, the Givens. It's, you know, the drummer and keyboard player and everybody. Yeah. Uh, Robbie, Robbie Chamberlain and John Ferris. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. I don't have to go those names later. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm here for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so the so yeah, the, everybody's there. They're, they uh, uh, spend a few months writing and rehearsing, um, working on original material. Uh, and Tommy would kind of go on to describe the band Zephyr later on as kind of a psychedelic blues band. And uh, I'd go with that after listening to their their albums. Yeah, um, I, you know, Candy was one of the few female vocalist in a rock band at the time most female singers were either more pop oriented or soul and r&b or folk but candy uh, she wound up being compared to uh, janice joplin a lot and that, i can hear that yeah yeah that there is a quality in her voice that is very similar to janice's um but outside of like janice and um Grace Slick, who was in Jefferson Airplane, there were really not any women singing in rock bands at the time. And Candy was, you know, one of the few. Um, so, yeah, so they, 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 they rehearsed all these original songs. They managed to put together a three song demo. And there was a, a radio station there in, in Boulder, uh, KMYR, uh, that started. I, somebody there got a hold of the demo and they actually started playing songs from the demo on the air and on the strength of that they managed to get booked at bill graham's fillmore west and the whiskey a go-go in los angeles uh, if you don't remember those from our zeppelin episodes yeah you haven't listened to our zeppelin episodes <laughs> yeah now i'm trying to remember though i because i didn't i didn't because the whiskey i know is in la which is which is funny because I've, I've been 
I've been binge watching Lucifer on Netflix and they just did an episode um, from season two that was filmed. I don't know if it was filmed inside the whiskey, but it was filmed out front. I know that part of it takes place at the whiskey. So, uh, but I was, I was trying to remember, was the Fillmore West, was that in San Francisco or was that in LA? Uh, San Francisco. I'm pretty sure. That's, I'm, that's I'm not, what I was thinking. Yeah. Not hundred percent positive. Cause I don't have anything in front of me, but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that's I was yeah I was thinking it was more San Francisco and and the Fillmore East was New York. New York, that's yeah. definite. Yeah. So uh, that so they had this uh, friend, uh, Bill Fay. Um, he he steps in as sort of a manager for for Zephyr, but he wanted to be more like a personal manager, um, helping to make decisions, but not a business manager. So he brings in this guy named I hope I wrote this down right Stan Greason from New York who managed, of all people, comedian Soupy Sales. <laughs> wow. I remember him from Saturday mornings, like, vague. The, the Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, and I don't remember how far back Soupy Sales' career went, but you're talking, I think, somebody who was uh, probably contemporary with the Marx Brothers and the Three Stooges and oh People yeah like exactly. that. 1949 until his no oh, sorry yeah 1949 until his death in 2009 yeah so um not necessarily a somebody who was a rock and roll type person <laughs> not even remotely uh, well i don't know i mean i only knew him from like early 80s kid shows on abc or whatever so yeah i i, I, I mean because I, I remember seeing him on tv and i you know the name always cracked me up but he was um he was more of a family friendly kind of comedian well keep in mind that bob saget who is known for full house <laughs> his actual stand-up is blue as fuck <laughs> yes it is <laughs> so, i'm sure in the 40s 50s 60s soupy sales was not because they they well they had their shit back then it it took uh what's his name um shit the, the comedian who's always in trouble uh Lenny crap. bruce Lenny Bruce kept yeah. really getting things going. So until Lenny Bruce, you can assume it was clean. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there weren't many people trying to do uh, that kind of comedy. Yeah. Uh, my, one of my favorite Bob Saget jokes. And, and I don't remember, I don't remember what the, what the first joke was. It was that this was actually the second joke. It was, he, he made some joke about his mom and, and everybody laughed and he goes, no, I'm kidding. I love my mother. And so can you for just $5. (laughs) I do like that joke. Although I typically say it about other people's moms. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Uh. Um, So, yeah, so they, they get, they get booked for these shows in in, uh, California and these shows lead to offers uh, from record companies. So Zephyr wants to sign with Atlantic records or Warner brothers, right? So these are labels that actually have rosters of bands like Zephyr, you know, like Cream. Oh, nice. You know, yeah. You know, and, and bands like that, although I think Cream actually was on, you know, Polygram but, or, or Polydors, you know, something else. But but um, Atlantic Records at the time, they didn't have any rock bands on on Atlantic, but they owned Atco Records which is where they were putting all their rock bands. Did we you know? talk about that with Kiss? No. Zeppelin. Um, Zeppelin. Ze- well, Zeppelin Zeppelin was the first band Atlantic Records actually signed to Atlantic Records. Atlantic, right. Okay, for some reason I was thinking we talked about a band who was on Atco, but maybe not. I know we talked yeah. about Kiss and Casablanca. Yeah. Um 
So, okay, yeah, I bet that's it. Well, and, and in a few years, um, when they sign an international contract, ACDC would be on Hatco Records. Oh, before, cool. Before they moved to Atlantic. But it's all kind of moot now because Warner Brothers owns Atlantic Records. But, <laughs> um, like but, a opinion. It's all moot. <laughs> hey, there you go. Well, okay, that's not exactly the Joey Tribbiani joke, but I'm I'm good. Keep going. Yeah. <laughs> and instead of making a decision to sign Zephyr with a label like Atlantic or or at you know Atlantic subsidiary Atco or Warner Brothers, you know some one of these labels that actually had psychedelic bands or popular rock bands of the time, he signs them with ABC Records uh, because they offered the most money. All right, I get that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Except that ABC doesn't know how to promote a band like this. And there's that. Yeah, which is, yeah, that's why Zephyr wants to sign with, you know, one of these other labels. Now, all well, you know, this whole time, Zephyr's following in Colorado, keeps growing. They go to Phoenix, Arizona, you know, so that they played Colorado. They, they, you know, they're, they're big in Colorado. They've gone to California and, and played some shows there. They're branched out going to phoenix arizona where they meet uh steve miller wow the these yeah. like the steve miller experience band not experience what the hell well, it was steve miller band steve miller band yeah i don't yeah. know where the fuck experience came from <laughs> uh, well that's uh we'll probably mention that soon <laughs> um but you know steve miller uh fly like an eagle um uh I, suddenly i'm drawing a blank i love steve miller the joker the joker uh well uh, yeah, rocking me. Um, take the money and run. That's yeah. Take the money yeah. and run. Yeah, yeah. So it, and and Steve Miller actually had a because of his dad. And I, I really don't know a whole lot about his dad, but I know his dad actually was a, a musician and actually was was friends with a lot of the blues players because that's how Steve met him as a kid that's growing cool. up. <laughs> It's, I, I do remember reading that in some Steve Miller interviews that he knew a lot of these blues guys growing up because they'd come over to the house. Nice. Because his dad knew him. Um, so anyway. Ooh, Fly Like an Eagle. Fly Like an Eagle, yeah. Yeah, that's the other one I was trying to think of. Uh, so, you know, I mean, uh, here's Zephyr. It's 1968. Tommy's 17. And he's... Uh, he starts getting praise from some of these because I mean, they're starting to travel around. They're going to California and he starts getting praise from, um, from more well-known artists that Zephyr is starting to share the stage with like Carmine Apice from Vanilla Fudge. Are you sure that's how it's pronounced? Uh, I'm, I'm sure that's how Carmine pronounces it. I, yes. Go back and listen to that one. No, too, no, 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 no. I am wrong. It's Carmine Apice. It's Vinny Apice. Ah, there we go. Ah, see, see. No, you were right to call me out on that because I had it wrong. So I'm actually Carmine pulling you out as. Yeah. No, well, it's whatever. <laughs> so, so Carmine Apice, who's a drummer for Vanilla Fudge, Prairie Prince, who I, I'm not sure who he was with at the time, but he was uh, the drummer for the Tubes. Snicker, snicker. Yeah. Um, uh, I, what was it? A, She's a Beauty was the name oh. of the song. Yeah. I, the, the tubes were a weird band uh their lead singer's name was uh he went by fee waybill but he actually um actually i think he had several different names because he depending on what song they were doing he'd come out with a different persona 
<laughs> he he had one that literally looked like D Snyder before Twisted Sister came out. <laughs> I was bizarre. I anyway. Um yeah, the the uh, uh I I don't know, I won't say anything bad about the tubes because I've not really heard anything bad by them. It's just they were a bizarre band. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, you know they're no captain captain beefheart but you know yeah yeah um and uh, uh martin Barr, uh guitarist for jethro toll oh cool yeah so you know i mean his, his name's getting out there and and you know i mean these are some pretty well-respected people and they're like hey this this kid in boulder he's he's pretty good so uh at prairie prince we were just talking about um he was still in high school he was I, okay. Yeah, here it is. Um, see, uh, so my notes aren't typed up. I'm I'm reading them uh, from handwritten. <laughs> Good, um, it's not just me, although. Yeah. So this is, this is, these aren't necessarily in the order I would have wanted them in. Um, so he's he's in a, he's still in high school at this point. He's got a band called Red, White, and Blues Band. So this is before the Tubes. Um, and and one night after a gig, he invites Tommy to uh, join him and some friends out in the desert to jam. So, so they just they just go out to the desert, set up a generator because he lived in Phoenix. That's what it was. Um, so that, you know they're out in Arizona. They take a generator, go out in the desert, set it up, <laughs> and just and and they play until the sun comes up. <laughs> I mean, you know, that's I thought that was kind of a cool story. Um, that is that's cool. So we we move into 1969. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nineteen. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh and, and we actually just mentioned this band one of the bands that zephyr winds up opening up for can you guess oh crap 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 yes i can guess i can now damn it we talked about this because it's, they're not, because they're not just playing in california and, and arizona they're playing the east coast too at this point shit did i did we talk about this or is this something I damn it? Just to fucking tell me, fucking son of a bitch. Led Zeppelin. Damn it, yes, fucking son of a bitch. <laughs> you're this... gonna you're actually gonna like this because we've actually talked about this show. Damn it. Is damn it. Okay. Damn it. Um <laughs> so so they opened for Zeppelin. And according to uh Johnny Bolin, Tommy's uh younger brother. Ooh, he's uh, still he's still active, right? I yeah, he is. He is. Jimmy Page watched the show and Page couldn't wait to run downstairs to the dressing room to meet Tommy. He was that impressed. David Givens actually talks about this. Uh, he he kind of, he backs it up. He, he also said Robert Plant had an interest in Candy Givens. <laughs> now, he, he actually, he makes it sound like it was singer to singer was robert's interest now it's robert so you never know <laughs> but robert may have just been impressed with the fact that she was a singer now i've seen pictures of candy and if robert was interested in more than just her singing ability that would not surprise me one bit <laughs> no no not at all because because she was uh quite the looker but i i do remember um there's a there's a, a Tommy Bullen box set that I highly recommend. It's it's called The Ultimate, and I I don't remember who said this quote, but I remember the quote, and the the quote was, um, in in relation to all of this, um, 
upon seeing Tommy perform, Jimmy Page fell out of his tree. His tree. <laughs> his tree. Now, I, that's, I, it's a saying from that era, and I don't, I'm not that familiar with exactly what that's supposed to mean, but my understanding is Jimmy was very impressed with Tommy Bolin. Well, yeah, it's just like falling out of your chair. Yeah. I mean, like, and, I'm, and I'm sure that's probably figuratively. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I'm assuming that's what it's supposed to be, you know, but you know, he was, he was that impressed. I, I think that was David Givens, but I didn't have a chance to go back and look in the box set in the liner notes to see if that's who it was. But uh, I, I do remember it was somebody from the band Zephyr that said it, and I'm thinking it was David Givens. But this was at the Boston Tea Party, which is one of the classic Zeppelin performances. And, and by the way, I couldn't remember. For some reason, Vanilla Fudge was stuck in my head because well, this is around the time that Zeppelin and Vanilla Fudge were doing a lot together. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and and I don't know if Vanilla Fudge was at you know the shows in boston i know i know vanilla fudge did the, the west coast what what uh what year was this 69 i think i think they were there but yeah, I, yeah. i'm not positive so let's just move on yeah, yeah. With tommy yeah but i i mean the, the 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 boston tea party gig for zeppelin is is historic um because i think it was one of the longest ones they did or or one of the shows they did there was one of the longest ones they did because i think they wound up doing like a three-hour performance one night um <laughs> and and if i remember right wasn't it the boston tea party where one night the the power went out and the only thing you could hear was robert's voice because he was still projecting to the back of the <laughs> venue robert and uh bit of bonham right and and bonham yeah yeah but, yeah, and that was, uh, I think Jonesy said, yeah, we just got in a groove and kept going. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well. So back in, uh, back in Colorado, at Denver, uh, Barry Faye, who was, you know, acting as their manager, he, he decides, he, he comes up with this uh, festival. Everybody's doing these pop festivals, right? It's the late 60s, everybody's doing pop festivals. Um, so he comes up with this one, the, the Dem- Denver Pop Festival at uh, what at the time was called Bear Field uh, would later be renamed Mile High Stadium, <laughs> which is where uh, the Denver Broncos played. I don't think, I think they've got a new stadium. I don't think they play at that stadium anymore. Oh, really? Oh, uh, yeah. I, I, I know it's, it's got a corporate sponsorship name now and I, I couldn't tell you what it was because I'm not, I mean, I'm not a Broncos fan. Empower Field at Mile High. Okay, so maybe it is still at Mile High Stadium. It's just under a different name. Now it's sponsored by somebody because they don't make enough money to fucking have their own fucking. St- Sorry, I know. I, I I hate the corporate names for all the stadiums. I do. I, I really wish that they would do stuff that's more local. I I mean, you know, Soldier Field in Chicago, um, Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia. I'm even okay with Wrigley because that's how they built it, and that's who yeah. built it. And they said we're going to build this for the Cubs, and you know not yeah. because they ran out of fucking anyway <clears throat> right <laughs> so anyway the last weekend in june I, i'm guessing it was a weekend uh june 27th through the 29th 1969 at uh, bearfield at the time the denver pop festival the final night was headlined by the Jimi hendrix experience, experience. see there was your experience thing you were thinking yeah that, that's what i meant yeah, yeah. <clears throat> that was it <clears throat> This was also the final performance by the Jimi Hendrix Experience. Oh, shit. Yes. Which we talked about. Well, no, no. We talked about 
Jimmy dying in one of the Zeppelin episodes, not yeah. the experience because he went on to do other. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, he had uh, Band of Gypsies. Yeah. Which, which was after that. Um, Noel Redding would quit the Jimi Hendrix experience either that night or the following morning. Deep also, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can go on. What's there to fucking go on with? <laughs> yeah. Um, also appearing during the festival were Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention. Nice. Um, some credit Zappa with inventing the audience wave during their set. Really? Yeah. <laughs> yes. It was something that he, he decided to do, and he would point to a section of the audience and have them stand up and put their hands up. And then he'd point to the next section. Awesome. <laughs> they, some people say that's where that started. Um, Creedence Clearwater Revival was there. Uh, um, they, they, uh, they actually headlined the second night and um, they played the song Bad Moon Rising twice they, they played it the second time because the moon was actually rising over the stage at dusk as <laughs> nice. so, so they said hey let's play that again and uh, so you know most bands they do these festivals they only play one night uh, but Zephyr wound up playing both nights uh, or playing, playing uh, the second and the third night because um, they were actually three nights and they were originally scheduled uh, just for the second night, but uh, another band dropped out. So Zephyr said, Hey, we'll fill in. So, so they, uh, they played the third night and also that night. And this, this actually happened uh, during Zephyr's set on that second night, the Denver police decided to shoot tear gas into the crowd because they felt that the crowd was becoming a little too unruly. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah. we're having fun. So, yeah, and David Givens said, hey, you know, we were actually on stage while that happened. And while the cops were gassing people in the stands, you know, the, the band's playing, and all of a sudden it's like, hey, it's a little hard to breathe. What's going on? Oh, shit, there's <laughs> they're gassing people in the stands. And, and, and Candy Givens, um, apparently at this point, she steps up and she does something that was absolutely cool. And I was going to turn the light on, but that didn't work. Um, <laughs> she kind of, she takes control of the situation. She invites the people in the stands that are getting gassed down onto the field. And Zephyr started playing the song St. James Infirmary. And it managed to calm everybody down and kind of save the day. So the festival was able to go on and the Jimi Hendrix experience gave their final performance. Nice. Is that a, is that a remake of the Cab Calloway song? Um, I, I don't know if he's done it. I know. I mean, well, he's got a song, St. James Infirmary. It's it, yeah. It's an old, I, I, I don't know that it's a blue standard, but I know it's an old standard. I've, I've heard a couple of different renditions of it. One of which was done by the band Jordy and Jordy was the band that Brian Johnson was in before he was asked to join ACDC. So, and I've heard, I've heard their version of it. I'm not sure who else has done it. I don't well, know I who wrote it. Uh, uh, Bridge City Centers in our public, like what our pub would be there. I mentioned them and they've done uh, their, their sort of version. And Yeah. Yeah. It's just uh, kind of, it's kind of a yeah. jazz blues standard. I, I don't know when it was written, when it was originally recorded, but I, um, I know it's been around for a while. Right. But it wasn't like a different St. James. It was no, my a remake of the. Yeah. My understanding was it was a cover of that song. 
Okay, cool. Yeah, the, the one that you are familiar with. So. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that was in June, and a little bit later in September or October of 1969, Zephyr goes to Los Angeles to record their debut album, which was self-titled. And uh, David Givens kind of talked about it and said that it was kind of a, uh, uh, that he kind of considers Zephyr to be uh, one of the first jazz rock fusion bands. Because that was kind of, that. yeah, that's kind of the style they were playing. But the uh, the guy they got to, that the record company got to produce it uh, was a guy called uh, uh, Bill Halverson. And, uh, you know, again, with the record company not knowing how to promote the band or what to do with them, they, they bring in this guy who doesn't know what how to work with that type of band. So uh, the album doesn't quite come out as well as they had hoped, but it does come out later in 1969. So, you know, hey, Tommy Boland's first record. Yeah, you know. it's, it is good. It, it's, um, I, you know, I don't, I still don't know that I've heard the whole thing. I've, I've, some of the songs uh, were, were on that box that I mentioned, uh, The Ultimate. And uh, I, I liked it. But yeah, it, it very much reminds me of uh, Janis Joplin and Big Brother and the Holding Company. Yeah, it's different. It's jazzy, bluesy, different, yeah. little, uh, I almost said psychotic. <laughs> psychedelic. Psychedelic. Yeah. yeah, it's a conglomerate of neat things. It's Yeah. Um, and in, uh, in January 1970, they, they make an appearance on American Bandstand. So I haven't looked for that to see if it's on YouTube or anything. Um, but it would be interesting to see, I think, you know, early footage of a 18-year-old Tommy Bowl. It, it would be i'm actually looking now and i don't see it okay i yeah I, I don't know who owns the rights to american bandstand broadcasts and um i i don't imagine that they are willingly letting them out there and also you'd have the thing of the rights issues with the music yeah because the rights holder on the music also has to sign off on it and that doesn't always happen so yes and so before i start bitching about wkrp and cincinnati reruns um if you buy the box set I, I know I just it's but, it's got most if not I didn't quite have all of the music but it's got most of it most of the original right. music that aired but I'm still thinking of when I rewatched it when I was younger and oh yeah easy music is bullshit yeah yes <laughs> so you you mentioned uh Zephyr's drummer Robbie Chamberlain earlier I did Tommy didn't actually get along with him <laughs> well I did not know that though <laughs> <laughs> so, so so yeah so uh, Tommy apparently didn't get along with uh, Robbie Chamberlain too much. So he he had Bobby Berg, who I think I mentioned in the previous episode, as a drummer Tommy had worked with, so or was at least friends with. So they they uh, make a change, uh, fire Robbie and hire Bobby. And oh. a, around this time, and I, I um, don't remember if this was actually something Tommy used on the first Zephyr album, but it's around this time that he starts using the Echoplex effects pedal. You did, you did mention that, and yeah, um, I'm hoping that you'll give us some examples sometime. You I, I actually will. I, will. I will give an example. Um, this example comes from the song Nitroglycerin uh, from the album Mind Transplant by American jazz drummer Alphonse Muzon, released in 1975. <laughs> So the Echoplex was a, an early effects pedal. Um, it used a magnetic tape. So just, you know, like a cassette tape or an eight track tape, you know, the strip of magnetic tape that would have been used for that. And it would record 
the signal from the guitar and play it back as an echo, as a repeating echo. But there were knobs and stuff on it that would allow you to change the speed and, and stuff like that so that you could vary the sound. Um, and, and this actually goes on to become a huge part of his sound going forward. I didn't know what it was. I've read the interviews and articles and other guitarists, and they said that he has a sound that they love. And they mentioned because of effects, but I yeah. had no idea what it was. Yeah, the, the Echoplex was part of it, and I'm actually not sure what the rest of it was. But um, I, it's, and, and I'll give some examples of this later, but you will notice he has a very distinct sound. Some people kind of consider him like a master with that Echoplex. <laughs> That's good. Yeah. He, yeah. I, so, you know, and they've already been touring around the U.S. And uh, they, they so, but, but they keep touring around the U.S. to support the album at this point because it's out. And uh, by September of 1970, they were in New York recording at Electric Lady Studios, huh. which was yeah. still under construction. And Electric Lady Studios was built by Jimi Hendrix. Another Hendrix. Yeah. yeah. Overlap. Eddie Kramer, who was Hendrix's engineer, was producing these recordings that Zephyr was making. And on September 18th, Jimi Hendrix died. And okay, that's where we talked about it in the Zeppelin episode. Yeah. Um, uh, this, of course, affected the recording of their second album because Eddie Kramer was one of Hendrix's not just as engineer, but as one of his best friends, because um, he'd been working with him the whole time going back to the Are You Experienced album. And, you know, Jimmy brought him to New York to help him build the studio and to engineer his recordings. And, and by now, actually, they had moved to Warner Brothers Records. Um, I guess, I don't know if ABC dropped him or what, but they actually got picked up by Warner Brothers. And Eddie, Eddie Kramer's, I don't know how much we've talked about Eddie. I, I think we have talked about him because he actually worked with Zeppelin a little bit, didn't he? Uh, yeah, yeah. We've talked about him in passing on a few different things. And he, he would go on to work with Kiss. He actually produced Kiss's demos before their first record deal. I actually kind of wish he had produced the album, their first couple albums, because I think it would have been better than the guys that the record company brought in yeah i mean he worked with the stones Beatles, zeppelin yeah I, he, he worked with a lot of a lot of good people of course you know when you're jimmy hendrix's engineer <laughs> people kind of want to work with you because you know it's, it's, it's jimmy hendrix i mean you yeah. know but you made jimmy sound even better so you must kick ass <laughs> yeah and, and hendrix was one of Tommy Bullen's influences. So of course, you know, Tommy and the rest of the band were shocked by Hendrix's death and, uh, you know, kind of, kind of threw everybody for a loop. Uh, so Zephyr's second album, uh, going back to Colorado, uh, comes out in early 1971. Uh, but the band was, they're, they're kind of starting to fracture at this point though. Neither album had, uh, had turned out the way that the band had hoped and, uh, and they hadn't sold well, you know, they were, still kind of below the radar, whatever, you know, neither albums turned out to be a big hit. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and and uh, no, yeah, I was just going to say, I'm, I'm almost to the end of my notes here. Um, so, and it kind of comes to a head within the band when uh, David and Candy Givens, uh, they wanted to get Robbie Chamberlain back into the band. And uh, David Givens uh, later said that what he didn't know at the time was that while the band was on the road, Chamberlain and his girlfriend had visited with Tommy's girlfriend, Karen, 
and the game of strip poker had taken place. <laughs> yeah, that's going to make everybody feel better. Yeah, so um, Tommy decided to leave the band instead of <laughs> work with Richard or with uh, Robert Chamberlain again. Yeah, I get that. Totally. I started to call him Richard Chamberlain, but that's a completely different person. <laughs> completely, just like I make fun of Danny Glover and Roger Glover. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but that's uh, that's part two. That's, uh, that's that's Tommy Boland and and the band Zephyr. And it is good music. You should you. Oh check yeah. Out, check out the bathtub album. Yes, because uh, that was the that's the debut album. <laughs> that's the cover art on the debut. Yeah. I don't. It's. Uh, <laughs> I don't get it, <laughs> but hey, you know what? <laughs> it was 1969. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have not, I've not had enough LSD to understand what was going on. Yeah, because I've had zero LSD, but <laughs> <laughs> that you know of. That is a very good point. <laughs> Which, huh. I am rethinking some of my life situations now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, anyway. Anyway, yeah, that's uh, that's all we got on uh, part two, Tommy Bolin. So um, I guess we'll leave that there. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just set that down. We'll set it down over there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll pick it back up later. <laughs> <laughs> cool. I liked it. Yeah. I learned stuff. All right. And, and that's the important thing. <laughs> Knowing in lasers who don't hit the enemy are the two halves of the battle. <laughs> and don't put mustard on the cat. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not going to explain that reference. <laughs> good i don't want to it's, it's, it's just no it goes along with your reference you've told me like i didn't know the first time you told me that i'm like what the fuck are you talking about yeah <laughs> i'm just not going to explain it <laughs> no, I, I know what it is now because you explained it to me well not not super long ago but long enough <laughs> yeah uh, i'm good <laughs> okay so share us with your friends your family <laughs> Your family's friends. The cat that you put mustard on. <laughs> the bad guys you didn't hit with the laser. <laughs> Cobra! <laughs> Sorry. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yes. Um, yeah. Before I start talking about how cat and mustard goes with dogs and peanut butter, I'm James. I'm Jody. <laughs> we'll talk to you later. Bye. The Macabre Manor is brought to you by the Twin Terrors. All rights reserved. Stay tuned for some fun outtakes. So Tommy wanted to get rid of... <coughs> uh, hang on a second. Ah. Don't know where that came from. <clears throat> Say that for later. And it's uh, <clears throat> apparently still there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. I want no hucking on my hamburger. <laughs> yeah. I won't say what this is from, but here's an example of uh, uh, Tommy's Echoplex.
and, and I'm saying I don't know what it's from because, or I'm not saying what it's from because I actually don't know yet what I'm going to pull it from. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you word that however the hell you want. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wonderful whiz, a wonderful whiz there was. Was he was he was he was he was he liked to take a whiz, he does. So apropos of nothing, um, while I was waiting, I was checking out a couple of the local places. Uh-huh. Uh one of them's the the heavy metal black circle that yeah. you that we went to. They they have a new place too, so they still have it, but they have a new one called Loom, which is just a few blocks away that they opened up during the pandemic to kind of keep things going. And they have a beer from a different brewery, uh, Toppling Glythe, called um, Term Oil Fluffernutter. And it's 13.1%. Oh, man. It is a blend of imperial stouts that have been aged in bourbon barrels for over a year that also then add dry roasted peanuts, peanut butter, marshmallows, and vanilla beans to make a Fluffernutter sandwich flavor. Oh, my God. I know, and I fucking love Fluffernutter sandwiches. <laughs> and, I, and I love stouts. I, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> and that, by the way, is my third Guinness that you heard. Oh, I just, I just poured, poured a glass of water. I've, I've got some water here, too. Oh, but like I like to tell my wife, Guinness is Irishman's water. True. It's only 4%. What the fuck? You know, it's not like it. <laughs>
Oh, <laughs> my